Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I have a very special guest with us today, a good friend, someone that I've known for, for a little while over social media, Ryan Paris. Ryan is the CEO at Superhuman Prospecting, where he's been at for the last seven years. He's been doing this for quite some time. He's also uh, the host of an exciting podcast called Scripting Sales. So definitely want to learn about your podcast experience a little bit, Ryan. He's a founder and principal at H2H Method. He's also the author of a new book called Trust Call, Rethinking Traditional Tactics for Human-to-Human Connection and Cold Calling. So ladies and gentlemen, I have the authority, the modern, the authority on modern B2B cold calling on today. Ryan, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Derek. Yeah, it's been uh, like four years. I think social media friends and still haven't met yet. So <laughs> Um, Got to get I'm out to the Pennsylvania that day one time soon. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll get on the soccer field or something. I mean, I, I'll probably pick, keep up with you whatsoever. I'll play goalie. Yeah, it'll, it'll make it easy. There we go. <laughs> a good match. Yeah. Well, well awesome. do me a favor, man. Um, I know what you do well. Um, we've also partnered on some deals here or there once in a while. So I know your business relatively well, but our audience doesn't. So can you break down first? What is or what does superhuman prospecting do? So Superhuman Prospecting does outsourced sales development services for companies across the U.S. Uh, I would call us a boutique firm because, you know, we have about 45 employees, all USA based, and we specialize in outsourced cold calling specifically uh, and in the B2B segment for the most part. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, a service that is, I'm, I believe, to be high valuable for those that uh, need to augment their internal uh, cold callers, if you will, their SDR teams, inside sales teams, or if they need to replace that in some cases, those appointment setters. Uh, but I know you guys to be, you know, an alternative to be a, a, something to supplement um, the, those efforts as well. So, uh, but talk to us about H2H method. What is that? How is that different from superhuman prospecting? The H2H method is more of our, it, it is a separate business and it's the consulting side to superhuman prospecting. Okay. SHP is really a services that does uh, outsourced work where the H2H method has a philosophy and kind of a practice in uh, a way to go about selling, um, a way to go about cold calling, and also a way to go about any any performance activity where there's people involved. Very good. Okay. Well, that makes absolute sense. You have the professional service uh, that you're offering uh, from the cold calling standpoint and booking the meetings and getting, doing the engagement, but then you're also helping companies do it better themselves. It sounds like. Correct. Cool. Both sides. Very good. Okay. Well, um, now you have this new book out, Trust Call. Mine just arrived yesterday. So uh, for those that are watching, this is the cover. Those that are listening, make sure uh, you go look it up. Trust call, rethinking traditional tactics for human to human connection and cold calling. Um, Ryan, tell us about the book a little bit. Give us a quick overview of what we're going to find and who it's written for. Sure. So I I assume that you read the whole thing. Yeah, right. Just since yesterday. back already. He's good. Yeah. <laughs> Super speed reader. Exactly. It's a book designed for uh, SDRs who call, managers, entrepreneurs, VPs of sales who are looking to implement a foundational structure to their cold calling. It's a little bit different than, say, some of the techniques or uh, specific kind of um, skills 
that a lot of uh, content you might see okay. um, out there. I was going to ask you that. How, how is it different? Because there's a ton of books on cold calling, as you as you sure you know, you did your research. So yeah, how does it differentiate, if you will, um, from from some of those? And it sounds like it's less on the tactical approach. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. It's more on the foundational points that you need to hit when you're actually calling. And there's also a philosophy behind it so that when you do execute your calls in these really high intense conversations, you have a backbone of your why. You know what you're standing for. You know what you are trying to accomplish with your prospect so that while you're trying to achieve some sales results, you're also not hurting relationships mm. along the way or doing your best not to. Is that kind of what you mean by the uh, more traditional, uh, getting away from some of the traditional ways and modern ways? Because I think traditional cold calling has this era of trickery associated with it, uh, pulling the wool over their eyes and deceiving people into taking meetings into into sales. Is that what you mean uh, when you say that? Yes. Mm. Yeah, I would say it's twofold. I would say you're absolutely spot on with that first comment. There is this stigma we talk about in the book around salespeople and any time that we call a prospect a prospect we're already you know two feet under the ground like we're already having to dig our way out because of you know what uh, we've seen as modern sales failure there's this already a natural resistance to buying something but you add in you know um, years and years of aggressive pushy sales techniques that have at a macro level hurt the perception of salespeople. Right. And right. so if you can understand that, you can now unpack it a little bit and use tactics and strategies to diffuse a lot of it so that you can actually start at zero again and, and move forward. Uh, the only other side I would say is that, and it's not really in the presentation of the cover, uh, is the foundational structures that we've seen missing and we apply at Superhuman to have quality conversations in the 21st century. So those love would it. be the two. I love it. Yeah, this is a hot topic. I mean, in, in, in the realm that I work in, I work with a lot of SDR teams, in-house SDR teams, as you know. And, you know, you deal with the population of SDRs that are, uh, we'll call it aversion. You know, they, they just avoid make, picking up the phone as, as much as possible. And they result to more email or social media, LinkedIn outreach, because for whatever reason, they just, they shy away from, from the phone. And there's this, you know, top down philosophies as well, where, um, you know, there's this, some belief system that the phone doesn't work. Right. And so, you know, we're going to go into cold, cold calling dead or anything like that. I think that's a okay. stupid conversation to be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah it, I think it has to do more with just, uh, fears than, than actual data. Cause we know the phone works, right. Has there been any research that you guys have published or, or foundational research you kind of base your operations on that has to do with why the phone is still relevant today? It's, it's an interesting question because, you know, there is some validity to cold calling not working. You know, mm -hmm. I can't say, you know, I'm not necessarily a, a blinded evangelist about cold calling. You're not naive. Say, <laughs> Good. Okay. Yeah. Or ignorant or, or right, trying right. to, you know, like you said, paint this, this cloak over, over everything. Uh, what I'm, what I would like to kind of reestablish is that if people, if we're allowed based on federal and state regulations to utilize the phone in some capacity to generate business, then the phone 
technically can always work. It's similar to email spam laws and things. I think it's a matter of, uh, you know, knowing how things are changing uh, throughout time. So whether that's from a data perspective and being able to reach people on their phones in certain industries, mm-hmm. right, versus the messaging we use to engage those people, it's really a matter of being extremely attuned to those two things to know if it can work or not. And if you have a product or service that people even want, which is a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow to look at yourself in the mirror that way too. Oh yeah. Get that product market fit, that message market fit, get those boxes checked. Yeah. Um, correct. Well, let, let's, uh, let's zoom out uh, and take a step back if we can. Uh, I wanted to kind of get that uh, established up front here in the interview, but Let's talk a little bit more about your journey, if we could. So uh, I know you've been running superhuman prospecting for the last seven years. Uh, I also know that you finished your bachelor's in 2007, went on to do your MBA, finished that in 2013, according to LinkedIn. What did you do in between? What what was your career journey leading up to the companies that you founded recently? Right after college, I was a recruiter for a few months and then was, so there was some sales skills built in there. And I, and I went into a sales development manager position a few months after that. So within the same year that I graduated college, I fell into a position where I was managing 40 uh, sales development reps wow. at 23 wow, that's a big and team. had no idea what that meant. So when I had taken the role, there was just, you know, a mountain of learning for myself about selling and sales development, but the the journey is not that crazy in terms of having some special experience. I think I'm very similar to uh, a lot of us folks who are very passionate about the sales profession in terms of my uh, my career path. I think the divide um, after some time came when I faced an existential crisis around selling. So being taught cutthroat or outdated pushy sales techniques, didn't really jive with, mm. you know, my insights. And so I think that was a time where I thought, man, do I really want to be in this industry where I am have some talent and kind of like it, but also don't really like deploying some of these techniques that I'm being taught that seem to make customers, uh, you know, potentially regret saying yes to me or having just a negative connotation. You know, I, I remember one situation where when I was working for this company, was in the remodeling space. They actually had a franchise in my hometown. And one of my best friends growing up uh, needed this part of their house redone. And so they brought this company out thinking, hey, we'll help out Ryan's company. Well, this is one of the situations, and this is no joke, that the salesperson in there to give a free, no obligation estimate uh, was, excuse me, uh, was actually was actually there pushing them to do the sale and wouldn't leave until the cops were called oh wow <laughs> to their home and this is one of my best friends from growing up well okay so that so, gives new definition to persistence overcomes resistance i think we've yeah. all heard that growing up in sales um what did that do for your relationship with your friend well the relationship with the friend was okay uh i think but the biggest problem was you know uh, I think from that time I, I had to defend or I had to empathize. Right. right? And, right. I, you know, I, and that was part of the crisis I went through was 
is this really the profession I want to be in? Do I want to be associated with that perception, right? Uh, some might be okay with being the the loan shark wolf salesperson. And, you know, I don't care what people think as long as I get my money, you know. Um, but then there's those that have some level of integrity and want to stay congruent with their value system uh, right. in life. And it sounds like that's what you were kind of faced up against. I can relate in some some ways as well to that. Um, I can see how that would. So that's what compelled you uh, to maybe go down this path. I mean, it sounds like I mean, with an MBA, I'm sure entrepreneurial uh, passions were already and ideas were already sort of naturally brewing in your brain. Right. Like so going into that experience with sort of an entrepreneurial uh, path, is that how you got to the point where you founded a, a company that was specializing in outsourced sales development? Yeah. So I'll backtrack a little bit. When I was in high school, and this is something only in the last year I've been comfortable sharing, mm. to be honest. Uh, when I was in high school and even earlier, I was raised in a very conservative, evangelical Christian home. And so the the things, the trips that I would be sent on in the summer were mission trips across the world to go and uh, try to convert people into this religion. And so I would be on the streets of New York City trying to convert people to Jesus mm -hmm. to say a prayer, and that would be like my sale. And so I had to really face that and say, am I going to share this as a part of my reason I'm in sales? Well, it was such an early time in my life that it just ingrained in me that that was a conversation I wasn't uh, you know, uncomfortable with, especially if it was just with a product or service. Mm -hmm. So to be honest, that was a very... Uh, you know, transformative moment where I said, all right, well, these are some of the skills that I have that I could apply to a company probably because I'm not afraid to cold call. I'm not afraid to talk to strangers clearly from my clearly, past. Right. Yeah. Around the world and other languages. Yeah. 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 And, and so that was a, uh, a development of that skill set. Now I always tinkered with things in entrepreneurial ways, right? Like I had a landscaping business when I was in my teens, walking door to door and getting customers. I also, was on eBay uh, selling things from mm -hmm. garage sales and, you know, my mom's toaster, uh, which didn't <laughs> go so well. <laughs> yeah. uh, things like that. And I got to work on messaging and, and explaining used products to people on an early mm. version of eBay where people didn't trust the internet like they do now. Right. Interesting. So those are kind well, of I love the evangelical uh, evangelist part of it because we actually had a guest on uh, that is the lead evangelist for a software company. And uh, wow. her father was a pastor. And so the, the, it came full circle. <laughs> it's just ironic that, uh, that that came into play. But I agree 100%. You know, I didn't go on the missions internationally, uh, but did my did my stint in young in life. I was a group Baptist. So, okay. um, you know, trying to convert people that that was you needed to have your testimony you know and that's what we're trying to understand here as well to yeah. a certain degree is what's been your testimony uh, to get into a position where now you are uh singing the gospel of cold calling right uh hate oh, to speak the, yeah. the pun on it but hey, <laughs> yeah. it was there i didn't hey. take it cringe uh, but it's there it's yeah. it works cool well no, it's always good to understand what <laughs> what drove that so you were an sdr you were an sdr manager Prior to that, you had a lot of entrepreneurial sales-like experience. Um, did you see demand in the market? What, what, what was the, you know, the 
X and Ys, if you will, the X's and O's of your play of starting a business around outsourced sales development. You could have done anything, right? There's a lot of things you could have done training, uh, just just done consulting like myself and what we do here on the Sales Consultant Podcast. Why did you pick outsourced sales development? It's a good it's a good question because I didn't really you fall into it, it or okay going you know when I decided to start a business it was where the market needed us for an underlying message I wrote I read this book called the lean startup and there was a time after uh sort of to backtrack again I, I'm kind of going different timelines here but um, after I had resigned from that original position I took another regional sales role which was much better and then decided I wanted to go back to school and also use a year of NCAA credit to play soccer uh, in my nice. late 20s. Nice. So that's kind of where some of the soccer stuff super senior. is. Oh, very super. Like literally <laughs> age, age senior. At the max. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so when I'm in my late 20s, I do this. And during that time, it's, it's a great time to let just unpack the last few years since college and think about what I want to do for the rest of my life while I'm going on this kind of uh, quarter life, third life crisis. And I go and play soccer and then I'm thinking about, okay, well, you know, kind of doing an inventory of my skill sets and reading some books, you know, where do my passions, talents and what the world needs align? You know, I think it's the, um, the, the hedgehog concept in the, in good to great, or, you know, yeah, the yeah. sweet spot in Stephen Covey, it's kind of out there. And so good references, thought, okay, good well, knowledge, well-read. Go there ahead. You go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Ryan. And so those, uh, you know, those ideas started to float around my head. And and that's when I, I said, okay, well, I love selling. And I think the difference between how I was feeling and where I'm at now is that I could make an impact in the marketplace potentially by separating, dissecting what uh, I was taught with what was true and adding some, you know, maybe better values or principles to the selling process, but also achieving some of the, some better results, if not more. And, and that foundational philosophy of maintaining or reaching the highest level performance possible without making shortcuts or uh, hurting trust mm. was the underlying like paradox or philosophy to whatever I was going to do next in selling. I love that. And that's a great tee up because I, I think I even told you in our five minutes prepping for this call, I was going to ask you a little bit about quote calling uh, oh. philosophies specifically. So with that, what are some of the core philosophies that you hold true and that you teach when it comes to cold calling specifically? And yeah, I'm sure there's a, so, a host of them. So let me preface that question. I, I sure. broke my own rules there. So, you know, what are some principles that you, that you can share with us? Yeah. So I think when when I was considering what to do, it really was, okay, well, as long as I'm doing these things, I don't necessarily mind how the service is delivered. So it started as consulting. We did outsourced event uh, staffing, mm. doing the same thing. It was, there was a lot of uh, cold call scripts and consulting in there, but then the market, you know, was really demanding a need for outsourced callers. They said, we love the script, we love this consulting, but could you also just do the calls for us? And that's where those, uh, those services started. And, and I say that as a part of this, because regardless of what the service was, there was those values that existed. Those values can apply as a foundation. Like if you dig yeah. a building, you know, they're at the core, that's the rebar, it's the, it's the concrete, it's 
you know, it's the reinforcement when you're going to build something really tall so it doesn't crack and fall. And so regardless of what service we were offering, these values existed. So maybe, you know, it's always finding that line between something, right? So what is the line between being, um, you know, assertive, but not aggressive, right? Or in, we like to say encouraging, but not pushy. What's the difference between those, right? you know? Right. Um, and so it's, it's walking the line there and not always walking the line, but knowing exactly black and white what the line is in your own, you know, environment that you're in. And so those are the types of things that we talk about in the book uh, to, to ensure that we're able to maximize performance, not just having building a friendship farm, because if you're like, Oh, well, of course, like, you know, we have all great values here. So whatever you need. And, and if you ever need us and you want to buy our product, just, just give us a call. Well, that's not going to get us anywhere. Like we have to drive sales. So there's a, there is a, a fine, there's a line between the two. There is some assertiveness that has to be applied. It's not all kumbaya, right? Exactly. And mm -hmm. so that's where we're trying to put words to those lines. Mm. And I think that's what trust call is all about. And it goes beyond that into more of a tactical framework and structure, but it's based in those things. So hopefully that defines a little bit of. Yeah. Well, and, and for those that are listening and watching, if you want to know more about these philosophies, because there are literally sections in the book of what he just talked about, um, assertive, not pushy or assertive, break it down again. Uh, oh yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. So assertive, not aggressive, not aggressive. encouraging, not pushy. There it is. There's even one that's called uh, defend the fort without throwing stones, which is a fun one because a lot of times, you know, and it's, and, and this is totally in, in respect to the salesperson's position. I mean, customers are hurt, but there does not also give them the right to be disrespectful. Boom. So at what point do we kind of hold our own and call out some of the things that are, I mean, borderline abusive on the phone? Because if we just take that into infinity, we're not going to last long in sales. And it can actually earn back the, 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 so you, that, the you, you, it's when the, what you're saying is when the prospect goes beyond their level of resistance into disrespect. Right. It's, it's one thing to be uh, evasive in the conversation. It's another thing to be disrespectful and say, you know, start calling people by their names, call, calling them losers for their oh. chosen career path. Yeah. You know, these things that are are just disrespectful to people in general. Right. And so um, how do you handle that? But also, how do you that that phase before where they're just evasive in the conversation and making that discernment? um between the two right they're, just because they're evasive or they're short and curt with mm -hmm. you doesn't mean they're disrespectful that's just part Correct. of the that's you know, par for the course in some cases right yeah i think some of that is what we talk about with the natural law of buyer's resistance you know we all have scarce resources we can't buy everything so there has to be a level of kind of uh conservative nature sometimes to, to the buyer's perspective and we have to look at that as fair and you know right the correct you know and the even other us side, who have to make cold calls when we get a cold call i think let's be honest here there's a level of angst and built-in maybe sales resistance that wall goes up even as salespeople that have to cold call uh so if we can't reconcile with that then you know that that's a mess but yeah being empathetic to the in your approach and understanding um you know how they might feel and that's why 
I think what you talk about in some parts of the book, again, I haven't finished it, but you know, when you talk about how you open up a call, I think in how you diffuse some of those, those issues early on in, in, in your outbound. So give me in, in talking about that, that's the high level. That's the macro. We talked philosophy a little bit, uh, read the book for more, but talk about the components of the cold call. I have like a success rubric that I work with with all my teams. I'm curious, what are your like eight, seven, 12, you know, points of a cold call? Is there, do you have something like that? What are your components? It's a good, it's, it's a, I think this is a conversation that's not talked about enough. And I can tell by the way that I receive folk cold calls all the time. You know, it's, hi, I'm with this company. I'd like to set a meeting. And I'm like, what? What? Well, for what? <laughs> for who? And they're like, well, we do phone systems. And I'm like, that I was like, great. You do phone you know, systems? Like, Got it. Well, we, yeah, we have phone systems that we can provide you with. And uh, I'm just like, all right, well, that's, I'm just like sitting here having to do the work and ask the questions which you called me and if you're going to sell me you need to make it as fluid and easy as possible for me to follow along because i don't know what's going on so anytime i have a question not only is it a question that we're out to do work but it's also a question of do is this a real company what are they trying to really pull off and these are the things that as i take cold calls i i feel and i say okay well how can i we can how can we fix this when we're on the call with, with prospects and what's the best chance. Now, every person's different. They're going to receive a cold call differently. So I can't say this for everybody. The context is always changing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, our structure is based upon that idea of building trust. Now that's so vague. So let's go and drill down. How do you set an appointment? Well, the idea, what we say is to, Spark, you want to spark interest in the product or service. You have to list benefits, features, accolades, pain points, whatever it is that's going to, you know, open them up to hearing about you. But the the idea is to sell them on the meeting, not the appointment or the meeting, not the product. Right. And then also diffuse some of that salesperson stigma throughout the call. Mm-hmm. So then we look at components. So what are the check marks that would fulfill that requirement, but also build trust? So we've built what we call the, the four um, core components of a cold call. Right. So it's the quick prop, hone in, calling prop next steps. And these four are uh listed us off one more time around. for the, that was pretty quick. So for those that are listening oh, and, and watching, yeah. Uh, let's break it down those four points one more time. Okay. So it's the quick prop. Okay. Okay. Uh the hone in, it's a question, the calling prop, and then the next steps. Okay. Okay. So those are the four that we use in three different script frameworks reorganized based upon the persona we're calling to. So they're, they're malleable because again, we're calling a market. We need to change ourselves to the market. Us calling is not about us. Right. Make it about them people. Yes. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Sure. So we have utilized these four core components. Now there's also sub components that are very important, but I won't get to that yet. All I want to, if you as a listener to realize is there's different ways to go about calls based upon who you're calling. And that's one of the things that I've loved about working with superhuman is being able to test and call from and into dozens and dozens of marketplaces because right. each one has a has some type of change based upon the market which can make it very complex in cold calling 
Yeah, it's, you know, not, so it's, you, it's, it's not the easiest part of the job, that's for sure. <laughs> Complexity right, definitely all... weighs in there, especially when we start getting into frameworks and components and scripts. And oh, yeah. But every word uh, and every tone of every word matters on a cold call, right? I mean, uh, there's only so much time in that call. It's first impression, so you don't get a second chance, right? And so this, this stuff, it really makes a difference, and you really have to – so it becomes – scientific that way uh right there's the art and the science of it we can get into the differences but ultimately you know testing out you know how you open the call where you drive uh interest as opposed to attention and getting the meeting set and so forth there's some testing involved with that which is in itself a scientific practice so uh the the book, I'm sure, is going to go into these components in detail. And so a part of this interview is to really get our listeners to go to Amazon or wherever you get your books and make sure you look up Trust Call by Ryan Paris. So if you haven't already done that, pause, go do that, come back and listen to the, the rest of this interview. And while you're doing that, make sure you hit subscribe and like and all that good stuff on the um uh, whatever platform you're listening to the show on. I wanted to read a part of the book, actually, Ryan, if I, if I could. There was a piece that I, I skimmed through it. Again, I haven't read the whole thing, but um, because it's called Trust Call, I wanted to go to a, a section on trust. So in, in chapter 14, um, here's here's what I highlighted. Holding high values as a sales professional is the way we build trust. Prospects are going to test you. They want to test your character so they can catch scams when they happen. We have to learn and adapt these principles. So when we get into situations, we'll be on the right side of our prospects favor. Hmm. I mean, and I, I just caught that through scanning, I mean, this scanning through the book. And that just gives you a, a taste of the uh, like energy that's in this book and the level of depth that we're going to. But Ryan, that section, what can you double click on that for me, uh, for the listeners? What what are you talking about in more depth there? So in in these situations, you know, when we're when we're calling the, the the prospect, and some of this we've slightly covered. The but in this, the way that this painted, there's there is a, a a stance you have to have in cold calling in the 21st century to maximize your performance. And I, I truly believe that having high sales values maximizes your performance. High sales value or high sales value system? Like what, what do you mean? Value system. Okay. So when you are working with a prospect that has been jaded or uh, is told to be jaded about calling, then you have to be ultra sensitive, especially in a cold call when it's like you said, your one chance, you don't get a second to breathe those values so that they don't have the ability to call out any type of sleazy, outdated, pushy sales techniques that would immediately uh, encourage them to hang up the phone. Right. And get them get to, or just disengage. I mean, that's when they start getting quiet. They shut down. The, the polite person won't just hang up the phone. They'll kick the can with you, as they say, during the conversation and waiting for it to end. And that's when they go dark. They don't return your calls. They ignore your emails when you send them more information because you you triggered that sleazy, you know, whatever that uh, perception they have of you know based on their bad experiences, right? Um, yeah. I think that's if you've triggered that, it's hard hard to to recover from that. Uh, to to your point, 
Yeah. And we say in the book to build trust in three ways, through the product or service that you're offering, through the okay. process that you're delivering the call and, and you as the person, you know, you have the ability to build trust as a person. And so those three things have to align when you're calling, because just like that quote said, they are looking to sniff out anything they can to get off that call. And it's up to you as the cold caller to hold those principles while you are trying to sell them, which seems almost impossible. <laughs> do you reassure right? uh, your prospects, you know, knowing that that's probably where their head goes? Do you ever train or insert your scripts, the idea of reassuring, you know, I'm not here to get over on you. I'm not trying to sell you on anything. Um, do you give them permission to tell you no? Like, how do you, you know, directly diffuse that? I mean, there's the things that you can do and hold yourself to the value systems and the way you can behave. But there's also just acknowledging that they think that way. And do you ever kind of just bridge that during the call? It's a great, it's an excellent time to talk about this. I'm glad you brought that up because when you are in a call, a lot of times it is in our nature to appease them right. and say, hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to sell you anything, but in fact, I am trying to sell you something. So I would, sometimes we do use those things. I don't necessarily think that they're always needed. I would say that you want to have them in your back pocket, or if you're calling a very volatile industry or marketplace where they can be super sensitive, then have some of those, uh, you know, and I've used them. I, I usually say they're cr crutches or preferential add-ons to insert those things into your script, but there is a time and place. You know, if I'm calling a sensitive marketplace, it might be beneficial to me to open up with saying, hi, this is Ryan with Superhuman Prospecting. This is a sales call. And we've heard that on LinkedIn. You yeah, know, we've yeah, heard yeah. the that pattern comment. interrupts. That's the pattern. That's they say that's the pattern interrupt. Yeah. And, and, you know, or if they say, is this a sales call? What am I really going to say? No, this is an information call. <laughs> that's what they always ask too, right? What? <laughs> it's it's, you're almost taking power away from yourself and stooping lower as a professional right. and what you think about yourself by saying that, because if you think that it's bad, that it is a sales call, well then, you know, what are you trying to accomplish well, okay, here? Let's, let's take, then. let's unpack that because yeah, literally what, what do you, cause this happens a lot. Hello, my <laughs> name is Derek. I'm with Relink Consulting. How are you doing today, Ryan? Uh, Derek, is this a sales call? What if I say yes, because in their mind, when they ask that question, it is a bad thing. So when I say yes, am I not affirming their uh, suspicion that this is a bad call? So wouldn't it naturally, you know, you, wouldn't you want to bob and weave around that somehow? I mean, I'm playing devil's advocate here. So no. what do you, Love I, I'm sure I'm going to appreciate anything that you give us here, but what is an alternative to saying, or what's, if I do say yes, what should follow? Uh, you know, how do you handle that? Yeah, I mean, you're you're kind of in a in a pickle there, right? But it's intuitive, it's instinctual for us to say, no, 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 it's not because we want to appease them, right? But what ends up happening is, and that raises up questions next, which is, well, why are you calling? And then those questions just begin to build on themselves, they begin to domino. So if because then you really have to continue bobbing and weaving and paint this picture of a call that you know, you want them to have when really you're trying to sell them. So I would rather say this is, yes, absolutely. This is a sales call. In fact, we would love your sales partnership one day. I don't know if that makes sense right now, but that's why I'm calling. 
boom, ladies and gentlemen, take notes. That's the <laughs> that's the good <laughs> stuff right there. That's the good stuff right there. Just lean into it and lean into and, it. Yeah, is it Taekwondo? I think it is the one that they use your momentum uh, as a defensive. You know, you punch, they pull. It's very martial arts of you to lean into it that way. I like that. That's that's good because I, I I've been wanting to get into Brazilian <laughs> Jiu Jitsu and I haven't yet. Yeah. So maybe yeah, I don't know which one it was. I could probably just butcher that, but I know there's some. My brother took it as a when we were kids, and he used to tell me this. Yeah, try and punch me He's and watch how I roll you back and flip you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean okay. that's what we're doing these calls, right? I mean it's hand to hand combat. I always say that to to people. I mean this is the real work. Is the cold calling? You know, we want to post on social media. We want to create good ad content you want to do all these other things which have converted and do convert but then we just bypass the you know, important step of just reaching out and talking to people you know on the phone like go figure um what what, what is the trust umbrella in chapter 15 after you've talked about some of these trust components you go into the trust umbrella i haven't read it yet so when i do read chapter 15 trust umbrella what am i gonna you know in a high level read about so there is a very pervasive theme throughout the book around building trust. And I almost, I remember our editor was like, you need to take out this, this, and this part because you're just beating a dead horse here about it. And I completely saw that after they brought it out. It's, it's such a focus on reframing the what's behind a cold call. Many of us just want to know what to say. And right. then we go out there and say it. And then we fix it without really having a foundation to build upon. And so we never really truly are able to go as deep into a cold call and what to say and what not to say and where to navigate unless we take a few steps back and have a 30,000 foot view or microscopic view of what we're actually doing. Because, you know, when we're in these situations, that we are not prepared for we are if we are not prepared for it with a solid foundation then we end up going we're going to end up saying things maybe we don't mean or not follow along those principles unintentionally that trigger a prospect to do what you said which is shut off right so the trust umbrella creates a visual for the areas that need to be considered uh, to build, keep building trust in. Okay. So for instance, you know, we have this, everything we do is based in these values. And so what are those things that we do? Well, we talk about the strategies of a cold call. Those need to have trust building aspects to them. So the three strategies we talk about are in a cold call are to one spark interest in the product or service. Yes, this is a sales call. This isn't a networking call, I'm not trying to just meet you to be friends. I am trying to sell. You know, I'm trying to spark interest in what we do. Um, the The next step is to sell the next step, not the not the product or service yet. So we're trying to spark interest, but you know, the next step would be, hey, I'm trying to see if this appointment or survey or in person meeting would be make sense for both of us. And then lastly, is to diffuse the salesperson stigma. Now, this is one that is probably the easiest to relate to the trust building because, but sometimes hard to learn because a lot of times when we're on these calls, 
you know, we're just thinking about how to handle an objection or thinking about how to get them to take a meeting, but we're not thinking about the things that actually allow them to give them, give them the confidence and desire and willingness to meet with you the next time or continue that conversation. So if they say something like, Hey, look, I'm not trying to buy, this sounds great, but I don't want to buy anything right now, or we are not ready for this. Those, those are the moments where they feel some type of pressure okay. that, right. That mm-hmm. you have to have their credit card ready today. So sometimes it's just that you're handling the objection and you're, you're diffusing the stigma. But if you have the awareness that you're actually saying, Hey, listen, while we would love your partnership one day, we're not signing any papers or you're not sending us any checks. What we're trying to do is set up a, a time to speak with you and see if this would make sense you know, and if not, we can point you in the right direction. And that's an example of diffusing the stigma. Correct. Right? Okay. I love that. I love that. You know, once you sense the pressure, you know, letting the lid off and letting some of that pressure out so they don't feel, you know, you know, we don't burn the rice, but, uh, correct. you know, my head goes somewhere else when you were saying this as well, when you were saying, talking about, we want to know the words to say, but we don't really know the meaning so much. Um, like we just want to use these buzzwords, right? We just want to know the script and use throw these buzzwords out. And I don't know why my head went to this, but I went to like a visual of ordering something to eat uh, and trying to use my little bit of Spanish that I know. And then it just triggers them into a whole nother context of, you know, uh, language capacity that I don't have. Right. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's, yeah. this is the same thing when, when, when we get on the calls as well. So I'm probably, I'm hijacking this a little bit, but this is where my head sure. went. Uh, yeah. you know, and I agree a hundred percent. We think we can just get on there and memorize a script you memorize some rebuttals and then we're ready. And the reality is there's a, probably a broader context, not just in terms of like industry and domain expertise, but just in terms of, um, excuse me, but the way the psychological aspect of it and understanding, you know, the, the, their impressions, how they're thinking and so forth. And then, because again, if you use the wrong buzzwords, it can trigger them to ask you questions you don't know anything about. And then you have now reinserted sales stigma because mm-hmm. you tricked them. You use some buzzwords, you asked a scripted question and you weren't ready for what they had to say. You couldn't really go into the context. Now, okay, you, you're just bullshitting me into this meeting is what they're thinking in the back of their, their mind. Um, right. So th- there's the piece of like, understanding what they're thinking, knowing the words. But I also think like this, you, you kept thinking about the th- how we're thinking during the call. And another place I go with this, and I think about this a lot, is a golf swing. Uh, I've been playing a lot of golf lately. And, you know, other people, friends and family, you're like, hey, I want to go out and golf with you. And so the little bit of golf knowledge that I have, which isn't much, thanks, Dad, uh, I'm trying to embark <laughs> on onto people. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah he's listening. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm trying to teach people these things like, okay, now hold the club a certain way, ball positioning, grip, pull back. You know, there's all these things, these mechanics that are going through your head during the cold call, right? And I feel like that's where a lot of cold callers get tripped up is that they have to think about so much during the call, you know, and there's only so much time in this call, you know? Yeah. And somehow uh, we have to find a way to like be empathetic during the process, be congruent with our you know, belief systems or sales value system, as you say, 
right? We also need to know what the script says and what those rebuttals are. And so there's this massive checklist at every second that we're kind of clicking through. And if they say something, that checklist might change, right? And so talk to me about how you coach code caller, cold callers a little bit, because there's a lot of anxiety that goes into this, you know, lack of insecurity, you know, lack of, uh, you know, there's a lot of insecurity, inability to establish equal business stature. Um, there's a lot of things that go into why people don't call a call or don't call call effectively. Um, what are some pointers you would have for like an SDR manager and what they can do to help their people get more comfortable and more effective on the phone? So when we train our team, everyone is required to learn the H2H method. So we have a a course that's available and we run them through it. We have them take tests on it. So they start to get some of this background. And then we break it up into three sections, the gatekeeper conversation, the decision maker conversation, and then objections and handles. And so when we're training on those, you now have that background about HTH and what it's about so that when you're learning the techniques and the tactics, you can then apply that theory behind it. So when you're doing it for the first time or you're you're learning the method, it starts to come together a little bit more, it starts to congeal. So those are the that's the way that we kind of position it. And then when we actually have them execute the call, so you drill in more of the decision maker conversation. One of the things that is tough in cold calling, it's not really talked about or measured much, is how often people show up to calls when you set that appointment. Mm, right. The show rate. Right. right. Uh, the no show, show rate. Mm-hmm. People say, oh, I set this appointment by saying just these 10 words. And they decided to say, yes, oh my gosh, I'm amazing. Well, yeah, well, 4% of those people came to your meeting. <laughs> you just right. didn't share that. Yeah. So that's where we've really worked as well, because when our team members are on the phone, we don't want them to just go through and have them set a meeting without a true conversation of hitting those points in the trust umbrella, right? And then going into those four core components. So our team has then these check marks throughout the call that they need to hit in order for them to get credit for that in measuring their performance. Okay. For it to be a completed meeting, it doesn't, it needs to be qualified effectively. You need to have checked off and hit these components. So let let me back up. So in terms of coaching cold callers, number one, have a methodology, right? Have a, a, a process in place uh, for cold calling, have some, some beliefs, some uh, philosophies and components, the things that we've talked about today, you know, just writing a script and plugging in some rebuttals does not, you know, say that you are ready to start teaching your people to be great cold callers. Because look, the at the end of the day, you can make a lot of calls and we can talk about how many calls it takes and all that. But the fact of the matter is how effective you are in calls, because that's the key, right? I get the question all the time, how many calls should an SDR make every day, right? And it's like, I they hate the answer, but it's always, it depends, you know, how right. effective are people on these phones? Can they convert 10% of those into meetings, they convert 15% of them, they convert 2% of them into meetings, right? Like yeah. that should tell you how many calls you need to make in some ways, but then, you know, we get into, you know, burning turf and, and all that. But number one, have a formal, uh, have a, a 
some sort of formula for your or methodology for your cold calling. Um, and then have some way of supporting them during the call. Have Make sure they have checklists. Make sure that there's something that they're aware of in intra-call, if you will, it sounds like, that kind of denotes how they should be managing that call. Is that Correct. on your checklist? Yeah. Okay. Um, what else do you leave them with? I mean, do you record calls and play them back? Do you have conversational intelligence running? How else are you coaching around the cold call? A lot of what we've done is based upon hearing and then getting feedback and refining over the last seven years. So yes, a lot of it's on recordings. Some of it's on notes. Some of it's on the data of how many people mm -hmm. show up. So now what we do is we have a full-time, so we're a service too. So we sell by the call activity, like we don't sell by appointment. And it's one of the things I'm most grateful for in our decisions early on, because really what we're trying to do is, is we're, we're outsourcing a process and we're selling you a data point in that process, which is a call activity. So that call activity has to meet criteria and has to be the best possible chance of converting. So what I mean by that is, when we evaluate our team, it's how well did they execute the process? And of course there's talent behind it. There's an art to it, but the mm -hmm. science is way had, had needed to be developed way more than it had early on. And so at this point, what happens is every single lead that we set for our clients goes through a quality assurance team where they look at the needs of the notes. There's a certain number of words that need to be written. Wow. There are qualifying, there are fields that need to be filled out in our dialing software. And they also, if it's available, have the recording that confirms that they hit the different components of a call and subcomponents, as we talked about earlier. Because what we've seen is if those things are hit, then there's a higher chance that the uh, prospect is going to show up or at least be interested in next steps. Very good. Very good. Well, the show rate, absolutely. I, uh, you know, particularly in an outbound setting, a lot of times, you know, if inbound, even inbound leads, they, they don't always show up, but that outbound right. show rate is, is critical. Last question for you, and I will let you go. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about artificial intelligence. Um, so AI and email writing, I think we've talked about a lot. So, you know, here on the podcast and every other podcast, we know that AI is helping in a lot of areas around sales and sales development, whether it's prioritization, actual email crafting and sending and so forth. But when it comes to a cold call, you know, I think what we could talk about is AI written scripts. And I'm curious what you think there, but more importantly, I just want to like check the future with you real quick. Do you see a time in the near future where cold calls in a B2B context are being made by an AI bot of some sort. Do you think that's a possibility where these deep fake vocals that we know of that exist today already uh, could, could AI basically have like a Kevin Costner making cold calls uh, sort of thing, right? <laughs> like, do you see that happening in the near future? I mean, anything is possible five years out, but with what we're seeing today with AI, I would be remiss if I didn't ask what your thoughts are. I think it's already being done in some customer service appointment setting conversations right now where there's only so many places the conversation can go right. and the prospect is just or the current customer is looking to schedule an appointment mm -hmm. 
In terms of the complexity of an outbound cold call to be able to navigate the twists and turns, um, I believe is rather far out, but whether it's in a two years or 20 or 200, I think the conversation changes from will cold callers be replaced to is it going to, it's going to come back to transparency because if they're really good at emulating a human, I think philosophically going back to that word, uh, mm -hmm. there is a disconnect because if you're trying to emulate a human and then come across as if you are one, then you are fundamentally lying at some level. Interesting. And so, so, yeah. so the trust, you think it, it would be difficult to establish a genuine trust uh, if you uh, find out that you're dealing with an AI bot as opposed to maybe the AI bot says, hi, Ryan, this is Derek, your AI bot from 3Link Consulting. I wanted to see if you had some time to speak about sales development implementation services or whatever, right? So yes, the announcement up that, front, yeah, yeah. Right, and I, it's an opt-in. I think yeah, there's yeah. going to be regulations at a state and federal level around requiring these companies to disclose or ask the customer or prospect, the receiver of the call, if they want to opt into the conversation because it is an AI. Cool. You know, yeah. Well, uh, so hey. I think they'll still be there, but that's that means we have to build trust even better. Then, right? That that means the game is on, and we have to have a much better value system so that people would rather talk to a human again. So, oh yeah, well, I think that I mean, especially early days with that. In the beginning, you're going to see yeah. a lot of people wanting to just give me a person because even today, all these <laughs> yeah. you know, it's funny. Uh, call and press two for this, speak this, say that, like just zero, zero, give me a person. So, as much as we, to your point, we already is seeing some of that and uh, automated voice response systems and so forth. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I do think there's a buyer out there that is comfortable and almost prefers dealing with technology. Um, oh, but yeah. when we come think about big ticket B2B sales and the complexity there within, yeah, I, I think we're a ways out from that piece. I agree with you hundred percent. Well, Ryan, thank you for, uh, you know, thinking about the future here with me and sharing your journey, talking about your business, your book. Again, for those that are watching and listening, Trust Call by Ryan Paris, go grab your copy. Uh, Ryan, where do you want to send people to uh, follow you and learn more? Absolutely. My uh, company website is superhumanprospecting.com. So if you need outbound services, you can buy the H to H. You can buy Trust Call at the H to H method.com. And I'm on LinkedIn posting these days. I so see you. Find me there. Let's connect. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.